Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is the show where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today's guest is pretty impressive. Her name is Rania Hotiet, and she is the CEO of ID4A Technologies, named Best Entrepreneurial Company in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. She's an award-winning serial entrepreneur, a sought-after expert judge on global startup competitions, an international public speaker, an advisor, an author, and a social impact leader in gender equality, woman empowerment, education, and industry innovation, with multiple recognitions from the White House. Uh, Rania was recognized amongst the 55 global leaders to speak at the United Nations Global People's Summit during the UN General Assembly, uh, where she talked about the global production and manufacturing pipeline and how automation, uh, AI and robotics can reduce global exploitation of labor. Uh, She's been featured in heaps of publications, including the Huffington Post, Forbes and Entrepreneur. Um, and was recently recognized alongside Melinda Gates, Sheryl Sandberg, and other significant leaders who have successfully built outstanding brands. Uh, Rania was one of only 50 women leaders and authors from around the globe who were featured in 50 Inspiring Voices of Migrant Women from Struggle to Success, uh, which is a new book that was launched at the UK Houses of Parliament, Um, where she also received an award for outstanding achievement in her career uh, and contribution as a migrant woman in the USA. So guys, basically in short, uh, she's a pretty impressive lady who has done a fair amount of stuff in a a pretty short space of time. Um, So today we're, we're having a bit of a chat about design technology. We're talking about entrepreneurship. We're talking about Rania growing up in in Lebanon in the midst of a civil war. Um, And we're talking about how all of that has shaped her uh, approach to getting uncomfortable um, and how her approach to getting uncomfortable has shaped what she has been able to do as well. Uh, It's a pretty in-depth, pretty full-on conversation. Some of the stuff in regards to the design technology side of things went over my head at times, but I tried pretty hard to keep up. Um, So hopefully you guys will be able to as well. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to Rania, and she's got a a great amount of insight and, and knowledge to share with us today. So without further ado... Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Rania and I today. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thank you so much for uh, sitting down and having a little bit of a chat with me today. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about our conversation today as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I am too. Um, and for those uh, that are listening, um, Rania is actually speaking to us from yesterday. She is based over in San Francisco, and we've just been having a little bit of a chat, um, that New Zealand is about 21 hours ahead. So if you want any future predictions for the next 21 <laughs> hours, Rania, then feel free to ask. I'm sure I can find some for you. Yeah, you're, you're back to the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I'll be hoping for a hoverboard uh, for Christmas, uh, just like Michael J. Fox. <laughs> um, Rania, should we jump? Let's jump into the conversation. Um, my first question for you is: um, I mean, you you have a have a background in design. Why, what was it about design that, that fascinated you and what, what made you curious about, about following that pathway? Yeah, first I would like to clear a few misconceptions about design because when this word pops up, there's always a misunderstanding of what design means. In essence, design is a process that can be applied at any scale. It's it's an action in its most effective form. It's not an object or an end result. It's not a set of limited categories of established disciplines because the scope of design is much wider and more diverse than most people know about. It's not a style like many people think it is either, but If I was to define what design is myself, design is rather a language through through which we as designers transcend emotions, communicate information, and formulate solutions that can alter the way people engage and navigate the world and experience everyday life, both physically and virtually. It's really about building a complex set of connections between us and ourselves between ourselves and other people and between ourselves and others and the environment or universal context around us. It's one of the most powerful forces in life, whether people are aware of it at a conscious level or not. Everything we experience every day is influenced by designers. Think about the the cities and buildings we inhabit to the chairs that we sit on, to the cars that we drive and the spoons and forks that we eat with, to to the signages that we follow and the devices that we use and all kinds of interfaces that we interact with and and so on and, and so forth. So everything around us really has been designed by someone or someones. And whether that, you know, design is benevolent or it makes our lives worse rather than better, it's a whole other discussion that we get into design criticism there. But in its, in its optimum state, when designers do the right thing and design is fully achieving its objective of being in the service of creating a better life, it can really empower people tremendously. And, you know, design fascinates me infinitely because it constantly evolves and changes with the ever-changing context within which it's created. And that in turn forces us as civilizations in general and people and users to adapt and, and reassess how we understand design as it continues, uh, as continuously as it continues to change itself as well. Um, without getting too philosophical here, uh, for example, about a century ago, when you think of design, people think of established disciplines such, such as 
fashion or graphic design or architecture or furniture design. And the role of the designer might have been defined by the products of these disciplines. But today, when we look at the scope of design, it actually spans a wide range of issues that are as diverse as environment, healthcare, transportation, software and technologies. And the role of the designer has stretched far beyond what we understood design is 100 years ago from creating cool posters and clothes and buildings and household objects all the way to designing complex transportation networks that carry millions of people each day. It's really a um, way of thinking and a never-ending dialogue between designers and users and the um, ever-changing context, whether that change is in politics or social norms or trends or environmental issues or new revolutions in manufacturing or technological developments and, and, and so on. Um, as much as designers attempt to influence our experiences and control our environment, we also as designers learn and respond to the changes in our context. Um, users influence design because designers learn from people and it's, and it's our ability to understand both the practical and emotional needs and being able to translate that understanding into comprehensible and adoptable ways through products or services or systems is really what sets design apart from other creative professions. And this is why design is so fascinating. Mm, that is that is really fascinating, and I think it's it's probably something that people don't, the majority of people don't think about over the course of the day. That everything that we're interacting with is there has been a, a big design aspect in it. Even like the microphone that I'm talking to, the computers that we're talking on, the pen that I'm holding in my hand, um, the transportation system that I use to get to work. Um, the, yeah, the car that I, the car that I drove, the, the layout of the car park that I parked in, there's been a, there's been a designing hand in, in all of that, that it's, it's really easy to, to forget about if we don't think about. And I think, yeah, yeah, I, I understand your fascination with it, that it's design is so inherent in our society that. Absolutely. It's it's no surprise that you're fascinated by it. Actually, thank you for articulating that so eloquently. Um, thank you. I have another question for you, though. You're you're involved in the in the design technology area. Um, what is design technology, um, and what does bridging design and technology add to to business in in this day and age? Thank you for asking this question, Chris, because many people are not familiar with what design technology is or what DT actually refers to. People either know design or they know technology. But um, design technology, by definition, is the design, development, application, and management of computer-based and non-computer-based technologies for the sole purpose of communicating the constructability and design intent of a product and also solving problems in building, operating, and maintaining a product at a variety of scales, whether that product is an airplane, a large building, or a small device. 
DT is basically the effective application of technologies within all phases and aspects of a product making process. And it specifically focuses on supporting design and engineering applications and tools. I already got too technical here, but but for us at ID4A Technologies, as uh, being a, a global design technology company, to be more specific, design technology applies to us to virtual design construction, industrial and product design, and the development, fabrication, and manufacturing processes that we use to construct and operate and maintain products. We collaborate with uh, corporate R&D labs and startup companies to develop their products from early concept stage to design, prototype, manufacturing, and distribution to market. And the way we um, effectively apply technologies within all these phases, as I mentioned, we leverage exponential technologies such as AI, 3D printing, industrial robotics, machine vision, in order to build manufacturing automation software for robotic technologies, which not only helps us to um, accelerate the manufacturing process, but also to optimize production efficiency at every level as well. Well, <laughs> that is that is pretty interesting, actually. And again, I mean, that's... A, a fair bit of that stuff is just kind of over, over my head in terms of um, my knowledge base with a lot of the stuff that you're doing, but it, it is, it, it sounds fascinating and it sounds like, um, I mean, this, this area I'm assuming of design technology is just going to get bigger as, um, with, with, uh, kind of ongoing developments. Uh, that are that are happening. So it's obviously a pretty exciting area to be involved in for you at the moment as well. Definitely, especially with more automation tools and uh, more expansion in, in that area as well. But to answer the second part of your question about how uh, design and technology add value to business, um, first of all, I want to mention that one some of the world's most successful companies are design-led, and, and we see the proof of the remarkable success rate from companies like Apple or Nike or um, so many others. But when companies use design at the foundation of their business and they place design at the heart of product development rather than solely responding to market forces, what companies can actually achieve is to forge a very unique identity that's been both carefully nurtured and that is powerful enough to be defended. And that this is when we become, as consumers and users, very loyal to certain brands because they carefully control the look and feel and the identity of their products, and they also employ design across every aspect of their activities, from organization to branding to the interiors of their stores and, and much more. And um, what we see that in such companies as well Design will often drive technological development and innovation. And when it comes to bridging design and technology, what happens is that most consumers don't really have a deep understanding of technology capabilities. Um, due to the human-centered approach of design and its deep understanding of people's needs, when design is integrated with technology, it can actually break down the alienation and it gets people more in touch with the solution that is being provided to them through technology. On the other hand, when design is capable of harnessing the potential for change through technological innovation, that also enables the creation of entirely new types of products. 
um, we see this exemplified in the evolution of electronic products, for example, from the mid 20th century onward with TVs and cameras and computers. So the more technology evolves, also the original form of product evolves as well. And new opportunities for business um, open up and expand with that kind of integration between bridging the two together. Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. It kind of that the interplay between those two. One thing that I'm actually interested in. Um, I mean, we've we've talked a fair bit about uh, product there. If a business is more service based, does design technology play a same a, a very similar role in business development there? Absolutely, especially when it comes to digital products. Um, most technology products or service-based products that are operating online in the form of platforms or applications, those are all um, fully designed experiences as well. And the success rate of the business is highly dependent on the um, uh, quality of the design and on um, the quality of the user interface and how successful designers are at engaging users online in order to use these services as well. Mm. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. You mentioned uh, you mentioned your company before um, as you were partway through that explanation. Um, it's ID4A and you are the CEO and co-founder of ID4A. What, how did, how did ID4A come into being, Rania? And why was it important for you to create it? Um, ID4A is, uh, just to mention, is my third company. Between 2007 and 2011, while I was still a student, I, this is when I became an entrepreneur and I co-founded and exited two companies prior to founding ID4A, which uh, I did while I was a graduate student finishing my second master's degree. Uh, but to give you a bit of a history about me as well, I came from engineering background into a design field that combined industrial and product design with architectural design and branding. And over the years, uh, I worked with major innovative companies across different industries from automotive, aerospace, electronics, architecture, and others. And um, during that time, I built a lot of experience on how things get built and how products get manufactured for real-world applications. In addition to all what I learned throughout my engineering and design educational uh, training during the same period. And then I continued my graduate studies in two, field, uh, two fields in production design and in architecture. And um, I developed a very robust, crazy thesis that focused on developing uh, disruptive fabrication methodologies by combining computational design with machine vision, 3D printing, industrial robots, and programmable materials, which explains a lot on um, how and why ID4A came into being. But, um, but really at the core of all of this is my passion to bridge design and humanities with technology innovation and and business together. Me coming from a diverse background and having a very broad knowledge base that is both technical and creative and having a deep understanding on, on multiple fronts, uh, one, the creative design process, two, emergent and exponential technologies, and three is um, manufacturing workflows and production pipelines. So it was very important to me to create ID4A because 
I had a strong belief in the potential of what I'm creating. And I had a very clear vision on how to successfully consolidate all my uh, multidisciplinary expertise and, and the experiences that I have gained, uh, both through working in the industry and uh, through founding my, my two previous companies, to um, to consolidate all that knowledge into a cohesive operational business that can disrupt old paradigms in our industry and provide uh, more value-added innovation with, with the solutions that we can develop. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one question for you there, Rania. If you hadn't had that amount of experience and developed those skills through your studies and um, going through the other two businesses, do you think that you would have been at a point where you were ready to start ID4A when you did? No, because, um, you know, that my, my previous experience has been, it's, it's been pretty intense because I was trying to start companies and, and I became an entrepreneur when I was a student and full-time degree, um, being in, in design school is very demanding and, and very labor intensive. So, um, so, so that timing, timing also played a huge role because I was gaining experience while I was building my first company and then my second company. By the time I got to ID4A, I had already not only learned, it wasn't just about gaining experience. It was also about gaining new insights for innovation for doing things differently, not only competing with what's already being done and how it's being done, but creating something completely different. And that switch clicked with ID4A because I was developing my thesis and my research um, at school that um, really influenced uh, a lot of the work that we started to do with ID4A in, in the beginnings. Mm. Like you were adding different pieces to the puzzle and that was allowing you to see more opportunities at that point absolutely yes very cool um and id4a is it's probably fair to say that you guys are doing pretty well at the moment when did you when did you know that it was going to be successful um and did you have any doubts bringing it into into being and and starting out Oh, that's a great question, uh, especially about the doubts. Um, you know, although this was my third business, as I mentioned, um, the initial feeling of excitement that is borderline anxiety, uh, that, that feeling that you get when as an entrepreneur in general doesn't really go away because the high amount of risks and uncertainties associated with entrepreneurship are always present no matter no matter how well you're doing or how great of an exit you made previously or or how much belief you have in, in what you're doing, I was still stepping into an unknown territory and uh, getting myself, uh, trying to get myself comfortable with being uncomfortable, starting something completely new. But, um, but the great thing was that I had zero fear. I had some doubts in the beginning because we were entering an R&D intensive phase that was demanding both in finances and, and highly skilled uh, talent in different areas of engineering in material sciences and robotics and in computer science. Uh, during that phase, I also had 
multiple discussions to get feedback from investors and from engineers and different manufacturing-related industries. And I faced so much criticism and a lack of support. And me being a woman, I faced a lot of prejudice and sexism as well. It was a high-risk investment for investors who wanted to get, um, uh, who wanted to see money right away and were not interested in investing in R&D. And it was too out there for engineers who are not trained in design thinking or who are simply set in, in, in their ways or used to highly regimented structures. And being a woman who is both innovating and raising money called for even more skepticism and even less support. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, when, when it comes to, um, when it comes to the success part, I think uh, creating value-added innovation as well as strategic thinking and agile execution were critical uh, for me to be able to expand the business and um, and create sustainable growth later on. In the early stages, we uh, prioritized innovation over monetization, and we were able to initiate a series of R&D projects and automation experiments to prove that we can optimize and accelerate the production cycle by effectively applying different technologies at all phases of the development of a product. And that eventually led us to um, disruptive innovation and in, in different types of processes that we were able to pitch and sell to businesses in the manufacturing industry who adopted our processes for a variety of applications. And, and recently we're getting into um, deep tech and automotive, which is going to be a new area for us. But this was the, the initial success that positioned the company at the forefront of design technology. And eventually, as we, um, as we started to, to, to pick up from there, we developed a unique B2B business model that allowed us to expand by building um, strategic partnerships and collaborations with, uh, as I mentioned, with corporate R&D labs and startup companies that can benefit from the processes and the solutions that we provide and and that can also support the innovation and and the growth of their businesses and the development of their products as well. So here we are, you know, I just had to push through a lot of, um, a lot of that uh, skepticism and lack of support in the beginning. And now we are being approached, approached by some of the biggest investors in the world. Um, So uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously, you never want to go through that that skepticism and that and that pushback. Um, And I mean, the reasons that that you went through it, uh, the the fact that people push back because you're a woman is just it's ridiculous in this day and age. But it's probably it probably taught you a few valuable lessons that. that you may or gave you a few valuable skills that you may not have otherwise have gained so quickly at the time. Definitely, especially when it comes to managing resources, because in the beginning, I was just so eager to start. I founded the company and at the end of 2011, I was still in grad and graduate school. Um, I graduated in 2013, and within three months of graduation, I moved the company to San Francisco, and we started operating from Silicon Valley. So at that speed, I only gave myself three months of trying to raise funding to get things going 
based on um, somebody else's resources. And because the process was slow, I just, during that initial phase, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. We're going to take out some loans. We're going to just bear some debt to, to get things going. And um, that was probably the best decision I ever made because it was very difficult to do at first because it was, you know, carrying another burden that I wasn't really wanting to. But um, but at the same time, it gave me that initial independence to prove myself and to prove what I want to do and then go back and be like, listen, this works. This is what we can do. You have to see this. You have to listen to me and you're going to benefit and you're going to make more money and you're going to expand as well if you apply these processes in these particular ways that we have invented. Um, so, you know, so it was more about um, taking that difficulty and that challenge as a source for determination and persistence to make things happen and to prove things, not just for myself, but also that we are capable of making a tremendous change in our industry and we are worth investing in and we are worth listening to despite whatever prejudices you might have or skepticism, you cannot say no to this once it's been proved, you know, it, it's just mm. a different way of asserting yourself is by um, having, having your facts in place. And then it's very hard for people to challenge you at that point. Yeah. Is that something that has always been inherent to you or is that something that you've had to learn over time? Which part? The, <laughs> um, the, the going, going away and doing it um, despite the opposition and, and coming back and almost proving those people that were, were in opposition to you, proving them wrong and saying, yes, this is, this is a great idea. I can do that's, this. Here you go. Yeah, no, that's always been me, actually. And I'm very quiet about it as well. I'm not very loud about it. I, I just go get things done and then the results will just uh, show themselves. And they would speak of, of my uh, determination and my uh, purposeful way of living and thinking and doing. So I, I don't I'm not loud about my process of, of doing it, but it's just part of me as well. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, and I mean that's the that's often the best way to uh, to do it as well as to to bring something back that works and say, hey, look, this is a brilliant idea. How about now? Um, and yeah. <laughs> one other one other point that you made um, about the the entrepreneurial process that I really liked was the the kind of anxiety around that initially, but also the the continual anxiety of, of being an entrepreneur and I mean there's a there's a concept called optimal anxiety is that mm -hmm. actually having a certain amount of anxiety there is really beneficial for us that it increases our ability to perform under pressure I mean if you're if you're comfortable and everything's easy then you just kind of go through the go through the motions or go through the paces but if there is some anxiety there it, it kind of puts your body in a bit more of a fight or flight response. So you're, you're actually primed to push and primed to kind of get into a flow state and, and really work, do some of your best work with it. And by the mm -hmm. sounds of, of things, as you've been through that process, like the, the journey with ID4A as well is that 
once you've once you've mastered something and correct me if I'm wrong but potentially that aspect is starting to become a little bit comfortable for you that you've then moved on to the next thing which is a which is a challenge for you which again increases those anxiety levels as you're taking on something new as well yeah let me give you a bit of a context and and how we work because what you're saying is 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 really incredible and um uh, with the with the optimal anxiety for me i always try to turn anxiety into excitement because also scientifically it's proven that both emotions your body responds to both emotions in the exact same way. So if you trick your brain that your moment of anxiety is a moment of excitement, it's not going to know the difference because your your body gonna is going to respond in the exact same um, way, whether you're excited or whether you're anxious. Um, so for me, I try to flip that switch and be like, okay, now I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm actually excited. I'm, I'm just in an excitement mode and I'm having these symptoms that look like anxiety. Um, but, um, again, to give you a bit of a, of a context and how we operate, we operate in a very complex environment between design, technology, and manufacturing, which means that, um, we are digitally producing and we are also physically producing. It's a very high liability. There are so many variables and factors to be calculated and accounted for. There are frequent experimentations and failures, which means that we have to fail really fast. <laughs> we have to learn really fast and we have to uh, find alternative solutions and get things to work really fast as well. So the concept of comfort is really never, ever achieved <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> i like that that's what this podcast's all about <laughs> it's just impossible in, in the type of work that i do <laughs> very cool yeah. and I, I like i like your concept actually there of flipping anxiety to excitement and just reframing it there um which is yeah that's i mean that that would be a great strategy for people to use um, approaching uncomfortable situations. I mean, we've, we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it's yes. been quite valuable actually. Um, I want to, I want to bring it back to design thinking and get your opinion on how design thinking can help us um, when approaching business challenges, but also challenges about life in general. That's a great question. Um, first, I want to clarify a few things. Design is a whole brain creative thinking process, and it begins with setting a strategic intention. As I mentioned in my view earlier, design's ultimate purpose is to improve the quality of life for people and for the planet. Um, and design is not a problem-focused approach. It's rather a solution-focused and action-oriented way of thinking towards improvement in the future. So when we speak about design thinking, what we are really referring to is the methods for, for thinking like a designer that can be learned and adopted by anyone. You don't have to be a designer to think like one. Um, so these, these methods for thinking like a designer um, can be applied to anything from not only for, for designing products, but also in how we design systems and procedures and user experiences and strategies, all the way to 
designing how we lead and how we manage and innovate and so on. It's a repeatable problem-solving protocol and, um, and a methodology used by designers to solve complex problems and find solutions by combining both creative and critical thinking. Um, the goal of a designer at the end of the day is to gain a, a deep and detailed understanding of people's emotional and practical needs. So to give you an example, what do designers do? What are these, these methods? Designer will listen, will observe, will understand, organize ideas, sympathize, empathize, synthesize, and, and extract insights that can enable him or her as a designer to make all this invisible knowledge that has been gained through research into decisions and practical solutions that have visible positive effects on people's lives and on the planet. That being said, when we, as individuals, when we apply design thinking to how we approach challenges in life in general, um, we set a strategic intention and we direct our focus to creating solutions and taking actions towards improving ourselves and our conditions in the, our conditions in the future. Uh, which means that rather than focusing uh, our, our mind and, and our brains on what kind of challenge is right now in the present, we are wiring ourselves to focus on creating a solution that defeats that challenge. And in order to create solutions, um, we must first gain an aggregated view of the larger picture of our lives. We cannot really solve our own problems without having, like a designer, without having a deep understanding and a detailed knowledge of our emotional and practical needs, of who we really are, what habits and behaviors and patterns and even other people in our lives, um, what kind of roles do they play? Are they supporting or hindering our solution creation process and self-improvement attempts? But like we, what we were talking about is uh, be, getting yourself uncomfortable and, and making changes. It really requires us to step out of that comfort zone of what we are used to, what we already know. Um, and, you know, and, and you have to face those challenges strategically with the purpose of making your life better. And that's how that's how you can apply design thinking to improve your life. Mm, that is that's fantastic. I think there's some great uh, some great tips for people there to to embrace. With the with the methodology that you mentioned there, Rania, is that do you tend to apply that when you're using it in kind of a linear fashion, going through the the, the listen, observe, um, etc. methodology, or is that do you kind of double back at times if you haven't uh, got quite enough information in one area? Uh, in a way, the processes, because it's it's very methodical, in a way, it can be very linear as well. Um, but there is also an iterative aspect to this process, which means that I might develop a certain set of insights right now and make decisions based on that. But then I'm going to go through another iteration of checking back with what I had developed. I'm going to test it with people. I'm going to make sure that I gain more insights and then make a better version of that or another iteration. So although there is a linearity to the process, 
there's also an iterative layer to it that allows for making improvements on the solutions and the, and the decisions that you come up with from the first round of extracting insights and information. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make as well, both in business but also in life as well, is often our first solution will do the job. Um, but actually, as as time goes on and as we evolve, we find better ways to do things or we find that that solution actually isn't working for us any longer because things have changed, whether internally with us or within our environment that we need to yeah, um, iterate again and, and come up with a, a slightly modified solution. Definitely. And we see that with businesses all the time, especially now in the digital age where a lot of services and products are being offered online. It actually gives a tremendous opportunity for businesses to divert and, and, and create changes quickly and make iterations quickly. If they see that whatever has been created, um, originally and in, in the original business model and in the original product as well. If that's not working out, you still have the chance to make modifications in your business model and in the product that you're providing as well. Um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it applies to everything, to business, to life, um, to how we think. <laughs> mm. Very cool. Rania, I, I want to do a little bit of a pivot here. We've been talking sure. for, for almost 40 minutes um, and people have probably picked up that you you don't have a typical American accent. Um, <laughs> you you grew up in, in Lebanon. Um, and how, how has growing up, how was growing up in Lebanon shaped who you are as a person and the approaches that you take to decisions and uh, actions in your life and in business? Um, you know, my experience growing up in Lebanon, and by the way, about the accent, not all Lebanese have the same accent, <laughs> just to make a note of yeah. that. <laughs> but um, my experience growing up in Lebanon had um, mixed influences on me, both negative and positive. I grew up during the civil war and um, life was very unstable inside and outside the home for many years. But um, all the instability and uncertainty and lack of security and safety for a long period of time that I grew up with and, and adversity that I was confronted with from a very young age really helped me to develop a very strong sense of independence and um, also developing a deep trust in myself because I always needed to use myself as, as a guide. I, I did not have much guidance around me. And um, that also forced me to build the courage and the agility and the adaptability to change. And, um, and, and it also became a source of determination and persistence. And, and it fueled my deep desire to succeed with my efforts and achieve my dreams in life. But one of the most striking takeaways of my experiences was really learning how to embrace chaos as part of the process to creating order. And that's, that's at the essence of my approach to decisions and actions in my business and in life in general. I am fearless when it comes to creating new initiatives and taking risks. I know 
I know that things are going to be difficult. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know that I might um, make mistakes or bad decisions on the way. Uh, I know it's going to be messy and sometimes painful. And um, But I also know that I want to be better and I want to grow and I want to expand and I want to improve my life. And I'm willing to weather the whirlwind of, of all these, all, all this chaos in order to get to the end. Uh, because personally, I'd rather look back and say, I did everything I can despite everything that got in my way, rather than uh, looking back and saying that I did not try enough or, or I was afraid or I didn't have the courage. So, um, so that's really, that's been really the, the influence on how I approach decisions and, and actions I take in mm. my life and business. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is really powerful. Um, and I, one of the points you made about, um, getting uncomfortable, I think also like the, the way that your life has gone as well as that it's continually put you in an uncomfortable situation. So you, you, you've, develop the skill sets of dealing with that and as you even though as you get into new situations that are uncomfortable for different ways but you have that you've developed those those skills and talents inside you from being in in uncomfortable situations before that you can then go and apply uh apply them to the next one and and almost as you say embrace the embrace the chaos of the of the situation knowing that you'll you'll come out the other side yeah and and especially with chaos i mean i when i moved to the states the one thing that i actually observed that when chaos happens it actually multiplies because people are so not used to handling chaotic situations there's so much order almost that people are not equipped to handle any kind of sudden change. And if a sudden change happens, most of the time it creates even more chaos than what it is. Um, if that makes sense. So, so, you know, so there is also that, that kind of adaptability to chaotic environments and to chaotic situations that you have to build the stamina for it. You have to be able to look at a chaotic uh, situation from a third person's uh, perspective or from a bird's eye perspective where you can remove yourself just enough that you can see it for what it is and start to think about how you could put things back together or make, make an order out of this mess. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think my, my background and my experiences definitely gave me that stamina for it. So it, I'm not intimidated by uh, chaos. It actually excites me. When there is a problem, it excites me. I want to solve it. I want to do something about it. And um, my response to it is more positive than negative most of the times. Mm, awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. I find it as an opportunity uh, for me. So. Yeah. Cool. And yeah. I, yeah, I think that that's one of the challenges of living it within really uh, efficient systems that everything goes well all the time. So often we, we have to create our own chaos in, in order mm -hmm. to learn how to embrace it. Um, Definitely. Yeah. That's a very good point for sure. 
Rania, I I listened to um, an interview that you did on the the Popping the Bubble podcast, um, and there's a there's a saying that people often use when they're approaching situations um, that that they're not quite sure about the the you you only live once philosophy um, to kind of psych themselves up to jump into to a challenge. Um, but you you mentioned that you disagree. Uh, with that, with the only you only live once philosophy, can you elaborate on that concept for us? Yes. Well, thank you for listening to that episode and extracting this uh, this particular uh, uh, idea. I appreciate that. Um, what I want to say about this is that most people most people are conditioned to think that life is this monolithic experience with one glorious beginning at birth and one tragic ending at death. That's how people perceive life as one ending and one beginning. And, and I think that's, that's my, um, my problem with the notion of you only live once because I don't think that this is, this is fully true. I think it's fundamentally a flawed concept. We sleep and wake up every day. We go into a hibernation state that is as close to death as possible, except that our brains are still activated. Then we get back to our life again, and the cycle repeats itself until further notice. So technically, we have an opportunity at every single day to start a completely new life, a completely new beginning. And an opportunity to make a decision or take an action today that is completely different from what we've done and, and what we decided yesterday that can totally flip our lives upside down and lift us up from the lowest low to the highest heights. Only if we are willing to get uncomfortable and make the changes that are necessary and take the actions that will transform our lives today into a better life tomorrow. In that sense, uh, you know, again, I don't agree that you only live once. I think you don't live once, you die once, but you live every day and you have a chance to create a new life every day. If you were to perceive it differently, uh, I think there is more truth to that than the other notion for sure. Mm. At least, at least from, from where I stand. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a concept that really, really resonated with me. I was like, that is that's just kind of changes like a, a complete perspective changing concept that that people can apply to their lives so no it was it was awesome um thank you you're a you're a pretty courageous lady as well what um what role does courage play for you in living life each day Oh, I think courage plays a fundamental role. It is, I think that courage is key to life itself. It opens all other aspects of our being if we were to embrace that quality. Uh, it takes courage to live. And, and I'm not speaking about medio mediocre survival and playing it safe, which is the most dangerous way to live by, uh, to live by the way. Um, I'm speaking about truly uh, living a truly fulfilled life where you are achieving your fullest potential, where you are learning to push through fear and stepping out of your comfort zone and taking risks. 
Um, the thing is that a lot of people are so much governed by fears. They're, they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of what other people think. They're afraid to fail. They're afraid to love. They're afraid of so many things. Um, and they're most afraid that they're not capable of doing something because either they keep saying that to themselves or they keep being told that they're incapable of doing things. Most of our powers don't get really revealed to us um, if we don't challenge them to uh, and if we don't position ourselves in a way where we have to use them. That's why you have to put yourself in a position where you cannot retreat. It's it's the do or die attitude. And when you throw yourself into things, you force yourself to do all that you can do. Uh, most people, unfortunately, go through life not allowing themselves to discover their own powers. And uh, just because they don't want to step out, they don't want to be moved. They don't want to be challenged. Um, so it takes it takes a lot of courage to be able to face life's contradictions and oppositions, and it takes a lot of courage to to take a chance and to express your ideas and to really activate your talents and abilities. It takes courage to be who you are, and this is where it all starts. If you cannot embrace your authenticity and and be in your integrity you will miss out on really discovering what you can do and living your fullest potential. And, and that takes a lot of courage. It's as simple sometimes as being and doing what feels right for you. And I'm not talking again about um, situational ethics, but what really feels true in your heart. Um, I personally want to make sure that I look at my life every day and, and I, when I look back at the day before, I want to see change. I want to know that I improved. I want to know that something got better. Otherwise, I'm going to force myself. I'm going to do something to create that chaos that would force me to become uncomfortable again and expand myself and learn. Um, so I'm very conscious about that as well. But all of that, all of what I'm talking about, it requires the courage. It requires to be who you are and it, and it requires the courage to become who you are meant to be. Mm. And they're totally different processes because it's, a, it's a, a continuous evolutionary process that does not stop. Every time you achieve that um, moment of satisfaction that this is set, I'm done. This is when you need to be... Tell yourself, no, it's not enough. We need to do more. We need to achieve more. We need to grow more. Um, so it's a conscious effort to keep pushing yourself. And again, that takes a lot of courage. So I, I can't imagine living a life without it, honestly. I, I think it would be probably useless and pretty mediocre, at the least. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I agree with you there. Um, Rania, if, if someone is kind of starting out on this process, do you have any any tips that might be valuable for them to to help them understand who they are and what's important to them? Yes, I think one of the first things that someone can ask themselves when they are facing a situation, um, they want to become better or they want to achieve more in their life, but they feel that they are not capable of it or they're scared of taking the risk. The one question you should start with and ask yourself is, 
what is holding me back? And what am I holding my myself back for? If there are good reasons for it, or is it just based on fear? Um, you have to be able to listen to yourself. And that, again, takes courage. You have to be able to work on overcoming um, the doubts and ignoring the negative voices internally and externally. Because if you are, if you are based, if you are basing your decision on not taking action towards what you want because of fear or because of all the doubts and negative voices that are coming at you, then you have to assess the source of your decision. And if this is where it's coming from, then you have to make another decision to confront it and fight it and resist it. So the key becomes on focusing on what you want to do. And um, once you focus on what you want to do, it really begins to multiply and expand and develop in your consciousness. And out of that comes the commitment, comes the passion for life, comes the power that you have it in you, but you haven't called it, uh, called on it yet. Mm. Mm. That's yeah. That's a, a really cool way to put it, and I think yeah, it's a it's a continual process that you that you go through with it as well. It's not something you just wake up with one morning and bang, it's there. That it's something. It's it's consistent decisions that you need to need to make with it. Yes, and and you know we're not all born with brave hearts. We all have to go through different experiences. Sometimes we pushed ourselves. Sometimes we retreated. Um, but it's all about the awareness of the behaviors and actions that we take. As soon as you become, um, as, as soon as you have that deep understanding of who you are and why you do what you do, you have the absolute chance to make an adjustment. It's when you're ignorant about the sources of your behaviors and your patterns and your um, actions that are negatively influencing your life this is when you have zero chance of making anything better or achieving anything. So it starts with awareness and a deep understanding of the self in order to help yourself to move into a better place. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's very cool. Rania, I could talk with you for hours. And I mean, we've, we've barely scratched the surface of, um, of the things that you, of your knowledge base and, um, actually the things that interest you. And I'd love to have another chat with you on the podcast at, at some point if you're open to that. But I Thank have you. Some, that would be my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. I have some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of our conversation. Um, the first sure. of them is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Mm, I, you know, the last uncomfortable thing I did was starting ID4A, which was not the last comfortable thing either, but um, uh, because it was, there was other uncomfortable things that came before it and after it. But this was the, the last most uncomfortable thing that I did was starting ID4A. Um, although at that point when I started, it was um, the third time I started a new business. But uh, again, as I mentioned before, is there is novelty in um, stepping into the unknown as well. It never gets familiar. <laughs> so you never get really comfortable with that process, even if you had to repeat it 
once and, and once again. Uh, and starting a business is really one of the most um, challenging things that anyone can do. So it never really gets easier. You can get better. You become more skilled. You become more knowledgeable. But it never gets comfortable. You're still taking risks. You're still stepping into the unknown every single day. No matter how much you think that you are projecting and predicting um, how your business is going to uh, operate and how much money you're going to generate and how much you're going to expand. All of this is still to a certain level, a projection. It's still an idea. It's, it's not, uh, you're never really in the future. You can in your mind, but you're never in the future until you're there. So there is that level of knowing and unknowing that's happening at the same time, if that makes sense. And you're always battling these two together, which never allows you to be fully comfortable. Mm, I like the way that you described that actually. It was it's very cool that that kind of consistent battle that's going on. What is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Well then there's multiple <laughs> uncomfortable things that are going on at the same time that that I can't talk all about them right now but uh, I am actually in the process of um uh, launching my first um uh, solo author book and I'm also starting a new company and um towards the end of 2018 which I'm in the process of forming right now so um so again like it, it's um it's it's doing something that you're familiar of the process of doing, but it's completely new because it's a whole new idea. You've never done it before. Uh, you're still stepping into an area that you've never tested uh, before. And um, it brings back all these kinds of emotions that are associated with uncertainty and, and the unknown and being uncomfortable and, and trying to recondition yourself to just take the plunge and know that, at the end of the tunnel, it's going to be okay. And, and you're going to be able to get through whatever chaos you're going to experience on the way there, but you're going to make it. Mm. Nice, nice. I'm looking forward to, to seeing your new company and, and reading the, your, uh, your book as well. Thank you. I mean, I'll, this... keep you I'll keep you updated on, awesome. on that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you'll, you. You'll know about it when it's launched. Cool. <laughs> um, this conversation's basically been all about it but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations there are various strategies that i personally developed and others that i learned that i use when approaching uncomfortable situations but um depending on the nature of the situation and the context uh, within which it occurs but you know for me being a, a very future oriented person my and, and very solution focused um, mindset that keeps me really motivated to to take action and keep moving forward so I always want to move past the challenge no matter what that situation is there is um, one particular um, golden strategy that um, that I ask ask myself three simple questions and I really advise everyone who's listening to us to apply it in the first um, few seconds they are faced with a challenge. Those three simple questions are, where am I now? Where I want to be? What do I need to change? And what do I need to do to get there? 
basically. So when you're first faced with a challenge, first of all, make sure you create um, an awareness towards yourself. So you're fully present, you're fully aware, you understand how you're reacting and how you're responding to the situation. And once you master yourself in that moment, so give yourself to really be in that mastery place. Once you're in that place, you need to start thinking about the future. Where do I want to be? This is what's happening now. Where do I want to be? And once you have that connection between your present situation and the future that you want to reach, then you start to think about how am I going to build that bridge from here to there? What do I need to do to get there? Despite of there are hills and there are valleys and there's water and there's all these things that this bridge is going to be built on, (laughs) right? But those are the two points, and I'm going to build that bridge to get there. Um, That's how I face uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. I focus on where I want to be, and um, I create the solution on the go to get to where I want. So whatever the challenge requires you um, to deal with, as long as you are fully present, as, as long as you're in control of your emotions and of your state of being, and you have a clear vision on where you want to be, then you can masterfully and carefully build that bridge to get there. And, and you'll be able to solve the problem that you are dealing with very strategically. Mm, that is a absolutely fantastic strategy and really kind of well laid out, actionable one that people can kind of just walk away from from listening to this and use this uh, this afternoon or this morning or whenever it is that they're listening. And obviously, it's a proven strategy as well, given where you are today with that, with all the things that you have accomplished. Um, Rania, I, I've got a couple more just kind of quick, quick questions for you. But I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me today. It's been invaluable to to converse with you but um i also want to say thank you as well for just really being a leader and designing a, a better life but also a better world for for everyone as well so thank you for that thank you thank you for having me on on your show and i loved your questions they're very inquisitive and very um mind altering in the way that it allowed me to also expand on my thoughts and ideas and share more of my perspectives with you. So I want to thank you for that, for that gift (laughs) that you added to our conversation. (laughs) I I appreciate it. Um, Rania, if people are interested in you or interested in your work, where can they go to find out more? The best way for people to learn more about me and get in touch with me is to visit my site at raniahotate.com. Through there, they can also link up to all my social media pages and like and follow my, my pages as well. I share a lot of different contacts there from uh, different activities that I do in, on my entrepreneurial journey. And also I share my writings and publishings there as well. So uh, that would probably be the best place for them to also reach out to me. They can go to the contact page and send a detailed uh, contact uh, form uh, to request any kind of collaboration or if they want to discuss anything particular with me. 
So everything is on my website. <laughs> awesome. We'll, we'll link that up. I have one final question for you. And I always like to ask people if they can leave me and the listeners with a <laughs> challenge today that we can, we can go out in action in the next week. One challenge. I challenge you to do one thing that you've been telling yourself you want to do for the last month or, or year or five years or 10 years or whatever, how long you've been telling yourself and you haven't done it yet. And ask yourself, what's stopping you from doing it? And once you answer that question, if you have no excuses whatsoever, but making excuses for yourself not to do it, then you know what to do next. <laughs> That's a very cool challenge to leave us with. Rania, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you so much. That was a great conversation. It was a pleasure to uh, to be on, on the show again and to, to talk with you on this uh past and future conflicted uh, time zone. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. A really fascinating conversation with Rania today uh, about design, how it's all around us and how it influences us, but we also influence it in return. Um, but also how we can take design thinking and use it to um, help create our life and use some of the strategies that Rania taught us today, um, which are a really valuable, really practical stuff that we can take away from this. Um, thanks as always, guys, for, for tuning in. Uh, I really, really appreciate you guys sitting down and uh, having a listen to, to me chat with some amazing people as well. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast app, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also, make sure that you uh, you leave us a review as well if you've enjoyed the show, uh, or even if you haven't, it's uh, it's always good to get feedback, and it just helps the show get into into me more people's ears and more people's heads as well to kind of spread the the message of getting uncomfortable and that it's okay to get uncomfortable. Uh, as always, I want to say thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond uh, for the amazing theme music for the show. Um, it's uh, it's just awesome uh, what he can do musically, um, and pretty grateful that he's that he's helped me out with this. Uh, before we we shoot off for today, guys, I am running a free online course for people. Um, to help them get out of their comfort zone at the start of the year. There's a little bit of time left to sign up. Um, this is going to be kicking off uh, towards the end of January 2018. So if you want to sign up, head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com uh, to sign up for this free online course. So that's getoutofmycomfortzone.com. But thank you guys for getting uncomfortable with me and Rania today. Oh.